0: Welcome to the first Intuition Student Forum podcast. In this episode, Dave is joined by Shelley Tweed. They discuss some practical ways to make studies work for you, things you need to consider before starting and whilst you are continuing your study journey. They recorded the session in front of a live Zoom audience, and if you'd like to join a future show or have questions that you would like us to answer, you can register for them there is a link in the show notes. Good evening everybody and welcome to the First Intuition Student Podcast. My name is David Malthouse and as regular listeners will know I'm normally joined by my friend and colleague Ben Bullman who's based in the Cambridge office but Ben is having an evening off tonight because he is playing a game of rounders with um, our, our other colleagues from his office up there which I'm a little bit gutted to not be invited to. Um, I am joined today by another colleague of mine. I'm joined by my colleague Shelley Tweed. So, good evening, Shelley.
1: Good evening, Dave. How are you?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm very good, thank you. And uh, thank you so much for stepping in and being our co-host today. Uh, this is the the first time that you've kind of had one of those co-hosting roles on the podcast before. But if regular listeners that are kind of eager-eared will remember that you did join us for one of our panels a little while okay. ago. Um, but the first thing we do when we have people join us on the podcast is we do ask to get a little introduction as to kind of how you got here. So I always call it your superhero origin story. So <laughs> you are Batman right now but at the beginning of that Batman movie what we do is we find out how you became Batman. So you know what, what led to you getting to where you are right now. So Shelly, how's it okay, Right,
1: so <laughs> trying to live up to that. I am. Um, I'm Shelly. I'm the marketing manager at First Intuition in Chelmsford, and I've been there for about ooh, just over four years now. Um, before that, I worked in retail marketing and um, probably spent a lot of time trying to promote things and sell things to people, as you'd expect in in retail. And then joined fi and actually my role is quite different here because it's less about selling and promoting and we try and do a bit of that but it's more about for me now informing people about the opportunities within accountancy and um trying to help people understand what their options are so that could be our current students let me see what else is out there for them to you know listen to or what blogs we've got on, got an offer um but it's also school leavers and job changers so it's a it's a really it's a really nice role it's very much a communication role which i really enjoy
0: yeah. excellent you, you've gone from in terms of retail um you worked at uh was it mark's Spencer's that you worked yep. at yeah and um you you have worked with brands that do make pants I absolutely
1: yes yeah. yes it's, yes so you, in, in 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 europe yeah
0: <laughs> excellent so uh, and that's the difference isn't it that mm. you know when you're trying to sell things like underwear you're trying to say this is our underwear go away and buy it whereas when you're looking at accountancy courses accountancy courses are yeah, things that you would use to help to develop a career in a certain direction and that's not something you buy off the shelf in marks and expenses it's something you really consider because it's you know a decision that really shapes where your life's going to go and you know mm. it doesn't matter how great the pants are you know the pants are not really going to you know change the trajectory of your career unless they've got super pants
1: yeah yeah there's a perception thing as well Dave because I think sometimes you know with sort of retail what you see is what you get unless you get something that you're really disappointed with it but I think sometimes there are people out there that don't necessarily understand that accountancy could be an option for them so quite often when I'm at um, schools events I hear I don't like math you know is a really common thing and actually you know as you and I tell them it's not necessarily all about maths and you know there's a lot of stuff that happens with sort of computers and spreadsheets these days that help with that element of you know if you're not if maths isn't your strongest thing, so so yeah, it's a perception thing, challenging challenging perception about what an accountant accountant does.
0: Absolutely, uh, yes, as, as, as I've said before, challenging the stereotype of, of what an accountant looks like, um, which I, I I think we do, and I think that you're absolutely right, dispelling those myths that you don't need to be amazing at maths. You know, you you need to have a a real passion for how a business operates. I think that's really important, but having yeah you know, great maths knowledge isn't that important you Mm -hmm. need to be numerate and being numerate is very different to to being you know a a maths whiz and I actually I actually you know four years ago and and wow that seems like a very long time ago I I remember actually interviewing you for the role and I don't know if you remember this but you actually did some homework prior to the interview and I I love (laughs) it when people do homework before (laughs) they come to an interview because it shows they really really care but can you remember what it is you did as homework
1: I did a SWOT analysis.
0: Excellent! You, yeah. you absolutely. <laughs> did I, I remember you came out and you pulled out your folder, um, and you had your SWOT mm-hmm. analysis in there? And it, it's just something that I loved because it meant that you'd actually you, you'd actually done your homework, and that that to me is important. That people have kind of gone into an interview, you know, and done some research, mm. showing that they actually care. But also the fact you did a SWOT analysis because I'll guarantee you at least half the people listening live right now and half the people listening at home when they're going for a walk with their dog they've done a SWOT analysis in their exams and think quite often the things we do in exams we think oh we do this in exam land but we never ever use it in the workplace and I just love that as that's something that you know with no background in accountancy you know with a background mainly in marketing pants absolutely yeah Yeah. exactly (laughs) that's still a model that you use uh, and you know you used really successfully and it gave you an opportunity to evaluate you know what we were like as a business as to what you could bring and whether you actually wanted to work for us
1: absolutely yeah yeah
0: I think it's, it's something you
1: can use in any business it's something you can use um in interview situations but also you know as you're making decisions within a business so you know I, I still use it all the time so. yeah.
0: it's something that I've I've actually advised students before to do a little swot analysis of themselves and, and, you know, when you're preparing to put together your revision timetable or you're preparing for your exams, you know, think strengths and weaknesses. What are things I'm really, really good at? OK. And then, you know, what are things that I'm not particularly good at? And, and I always go to when you go to, to weaknesses, I, I kind of list all the things you're really weak at and then you know which of them are going to have an impact in your exam. So which of them are weaknesses that you're going to have to remedy and which of them are weaknesses that actually aren't going to impact in this exam? Now, so, yeah. you know, is um, you know, maybe I, I'm not particularly good at writing written answers to questions. Now, if it's a tax exam, that's not really a weakness you care about. If it's an audit exam, it definitely yeah. is a weakness you care about. Uh, and, you know, as a result, you need to do some work to remedy that weakness to prepare for that audit exam.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Awesome. Well, what I thought we did this evening, Shelley, is mm-hmm. I, I thought we would do a what I'm going to call a question time episode. Because as you mentioned earlier, you spend a lot of time talking with, um, with particularly school leaders or people mm-hmm. at school that are planning careers. You spend a lot of time at things like our open days, talking yeah. to people that are maybe partway through their studies. And I know you interact with our students you know, almost on a daily basis when you're in the center, you know, talking to them as they prepare for exams. So you've got a whole host of different questions that students mm-hmm. will ask. And I thought now would be quite a good opportunity for, you know, you to ask some of those questions, then for me, maybe to address some of them. Absolutely. Uh, we have also passed this out to some of our team. So yes. our team have been asking students and kind of getting a different set of, um, set of questions. So um, I don't know how many we'll get through. So, you know, I was hopeful that we'll get through kind of like four or five questions. We have got people live in the room that may have their own questions as well. Um, if you do listen to something, actually, I've got a load of questions that I'd like to ask. Okay, feel free to email them Um I'm going to warn you Shelley if any of these questions are technical questions about financial accounting I, or technical questions about things like audit planning okay, I may not be the best person okay but I can help you out with some of the other areas but you have so, to remember
1: that I wrote them so <laughs> 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 although I did have some help from the team I, did, I asked the customer service team and a couple of tutors as well so I've got I've got some input but not technical <laughs> excellent okay excellent. so
0: but people listening if you have got technical questions I would love like a really technical episode where um you know you talk about you know kind of tax relief or cost of capital would be awesome if we could do an hour on cost of capital calculations. I would love that but Shelly, so okay first right. question what have we got for us
1: okay so I've, I wanted to take it right back to the beginning and look at um maybe not so relevant for everybody that's listening but maybe for that one one or two or few people that kind of think you know So I'm quite interested. Where do I start? Where do I start with accountancy? How do I get going? What's 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 your advice, David? Where would you start?
0: So we're thinking here, someone that is what is a
1: school leaver, maybe a job changer. So maybe maybe those two different scenarios. If I'm a school leaver versus maybe if I'm changing jobs later in life.
0: My advice is the same for my advice for anyone who wants to do anything at all that they don't know how to do. So if you said to me, you know, Dave, I'm, I'm really looking to get into knitting, I would say, do you know a knitter? And if so, spend some time with that knitter and ask them about knitting. Or if you want to learn to ride a horse, do you know anyone that rides horses? Could you spend some time with them understanding what it takes to ride a horse and how you go about getting into it? So that's my, my first thing to speak. Right, well, I don't know anything about accountancy, but I'm interested in finding out. Do you know an accountant? Okay, if you know an accountant, reach out and ask them. So that could be, do I personally know one? Now, if I'm 15 at school, thinking about my career, the chances are I don't hang out with a load of accountants. Okay, so my next question is, ask your mum and dad. Okay, dad, do you know any accountants? Mum, do you know any accountants? Ask your uncle, your aunts, ask your grandparents. Okay, try and find someone that knows an accountant. Now, if that completely closes all avenues to you, next step that I would look at would be to go to your careers advisor at school and yeah. ask your careers advisor at school say look I'm really interested in accounts, but I want to find out more about it do you know anyone that is an accountant and what they might say you know they might say oh yeah there's one that works at school now so yeah. could you then have a chat with the person that's you know in the bursary at school mm-hmm. um, or to the accounts clerk at school and every business has got one but it's just a case of you being able to find them to have a conversation with them now the other thing is, come and see me. In a, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, and first, intuition isn't the only college, but there are lots and lots of colleges out there. Find a college that offers an accountancy course and go to an open day. Now, yeah. Turn up to the open day and ask them questions. Open days are there for you to find out if you're interested in a particular course. Open days aren't there for you to sign up. Open days aren't there for you to pay lots of money. No one's going to get angry if you go to an open day and then say, this is not for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay? every school or college out there should be really really happy for you to come find out something and then say this is not for me and it's something i I tell people when they come to speak to me is is i say that at the end of this conversation i would like you to be able to say yes or no to whether i want to continue you know talking about a career in accountancy and i always tell them i'm happier for you to say no i'm not interested i'm happy that's the best advice you can get is someone that's telling you enough for you to say no someone telling you enough to say yes means you've got to do more work to find out about it so yeah the key thing is just talk to someone that has done it um it, there are lots of things online but you know generally if you google what is it like to be an accountant people will come back with you've got to be good at maths or it's really boring and that's normally written by people that have got an a, a preconceived idea of what an accountant is but doesn't actually don't actually know and you've got enough accountants actually are they all boring
1: no, no. Some of um I'm thinking of one particular person in particular is probably one of the funniest people I know actually who's an accountant. I think we had some school panel last week and actually the, the panel of employers that came in, you would not look at any of them and say that they fit into that stereotype. Absolutely not. You know, um they they were a real fun bunch a great bunch of people so really interesting so we have got um, a question from Laura who's in our audience this evening and she's asking if there's um, any advice for a career changer in their 40s who she was a primary school teacher uh, until three months ago and is wondering how to make the most of a career in accountancy she's doing ACCA at the moment she just passed the first exam well done Laura
0: well done and that was financial accounting which is Mm -hmm. I think, the hardest paper at that level. Um, So that's, yeah, really, really good job. Um, And a career change when you're 40. So you are still young and you've still got a huge amount of career ahead of you. So, you know, it's the first thing to realise is that, you know, you've got, you know, or or that might scare you, you've got, what, 25-odd years worth of of career still operating at a good level, obviously, unless you want to retire earlier than that. Um, and, And to complete ACCA, you're probably looking at, you know, let's say, three to five years of that time in order to complete it. So loads and loads of time to do that. Now, the thing that I would look at in terms of making the most in your career in accountancy, if by making the most you mean, you know, how am I going to, uh, I guess, move up the career ladder quickly as a, a, a in the world of accountancy, I would try and marry the two skills that you've got or or, or this so you've got a working career of working within a school and you're starting to train with an accountancy so if you could do something that marries those two skills together then that would be a really effective way of you moving quickly fast now that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to teach accountants because you know that that is one option but also i would look at well what is it that you did as a primary school teacher well as a primary school teacher you must be good at presenting ideas in an engaging way because I'm a you know I have got primary a primary school aged young girl that lives in this house and she you know becomes disengaged very quickly if her teachers aren't really enthusiastic so you must have that kind of skill and um, so your communication skills are brilliant because you have to be able to communicate and being able to communicate to a six-year-old girl takes a certain skill, I found you you can't use jargon and long language. You've got to break things down into simple terms to uh, enable them to understand. So I I think you've got an amazing set of communication skills and you're learning this really, really technical thing. So I'd be looking at well where can I use my where can I use those things? So that be when I'm job seeking, I'm looking for am I carrying out a role where one I'm doing something with my technical accountancy skills but where i'm able to use those communication skills so if i'm looking at a management accounting role i'm looking at am i going to be reporting to management because that's where my skills lie in being able to communicate and in doing that your career is going to accelerate relatively quickly if you go into something that, that ignores those previous skills and you're into something that's purely compliance based and it's just i'm going to prepare monthly VAT returns and submit them to HMRC you're almost saying all those skills that I had before that I was brilliant at I'm not using right now so I, I, I just had to think how can you mix those things together and it's I mean what I did when I when I was choosing the careers that I wanted to get into is I I trained to be an accountant when I left university because I didn't know what I wanted to do and, and I wanted to do something that I kept enjoying and kept learning once I was qualified, I was really stuck about where I wanted to go. And I, I looked at the things that I enjoyed and you know, I enjoyed being at college, being at school, being at university. I love being in a learning environment. Um, I enjoyed the technical knowledge that I had of accountancy, but I wasn't so keen in actually doing the accountancy work. And the thing that I'd always really enjoyed, but always done it as a hobby, was I'd always enjoyed performing and being in plays and acting and things like that. And I saw kind of going into teaching as being able to use those kind of communication skills. And it is, you know, it's like I go on stage every time I go into class. I'm now performing for a full day and it's the, the Dave show where um, Dave is going to be showing you that this is how we do a corporation tax calculation. And it might not be Broadway, but as far as I'm concerned, it's doing what I absolutely love doing and bringing those things together. So use the skills you've got as well as the skills that you want to have, that, that you're trying to get.
1: And so sort of following on from that, Dave, in terms of, yeah. um, you know, how students then start to progress into that sort of studying part of the journey. Um, if you don't do a particular type of accountancy at your firm, what's the best way to kind of, you know, you might find that paper really hard because you're not using it at work. So what's the best way to kind of almost help cement the knowledge and uh, and get some practice?
0: My advice is to try and put it in the context of something you understand. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So uh, what I always do when I'm teaching is I, I, I try to, take a concept but apply it to an everyday situation so if if we were doing costing right now and we were trying to say we're trying to determine how much it costs to manufacture a product now course notes and syllabus material always talk about if you're trying to make this product um, then you need to know the material cost the labor cost the overhead cost Uh, and they use very technical terminology but they don't relate it back so I just flip on its head and say, right, But well, instead of talking about a product, let's think of something real that we all know and love. And I normally talk about food because I'm normally quite hungry and I like food. <laughs> and I say, right, OK, forget the notes. We're talking about making cakes. So who's made a cake? Everyone's made a cake. Yeah. What goes into a cake? And they'll say flour and milk and butter and eggs and loads of sugar and various other different things. And you go, brilliant, that's, that's your materials. that's the material element of that product. And then, you know, I said, well, what about labor? Well, how long does it take to make a cake? And then you look at a recipe and the recipe says, you know, preparation time, 30 minutes. All right, so it's 30 minutes to prepare it. That's the amount of labor hours that it takes to produce your cake. then it's, how long does it go in the oven for? It goes in the oven for 40 minutes brilliant it's in the oven for 40 minutes using electricity all that time that gives me a cost of the the um the overhead in terms of electricity so very quickly i've taken something that everyone thinks is completely alien because they don't make products at work but related it back to something very simple that we all know and have made in our own lives now when i do teach audit and i do occasionally teach audit i know i joke about it quite a lot and you know i just say okay so we, we we're not auditors we don't work in audit we've never done any audit work but What if someone came to you in the pub and said, I own a five million pound mansion?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And they said that to you. And it was, well, what I would want to do is try and, you know, I think, are they they telling the truth or are they lying? So how would I find out if they were telling the truth that they did actually own a five million pound mansion? And then you said, well, what kind of things would you ask them? I'd say, well, where is it? And they say, oh, yeah, it's it's on on Braintree Road. Okay. And Mm -hmm. all right. Yeah. Okay. Which one is it? Okay, it's it's the one, you know, you've got the three white houses, then the massive house with the big, um, big iron gates. It's like, right, okay, so I I know that a house exists, but how do I know you actually live there? Mm -hmm. How would I find that out? You know, well, that would be things like land registry documents, you know, or I want to see, you know, did he actually buy it? Is there a contract for sale? You know, And then, you know, I know that it's, I know that he owns it. I know where it is now, but how do I know it's worth five million pounds? You know, if someone said that their house was worth £5 million, Shelley, how would you go about finding out?
1: I'd Google it on Rightmove or Zoopla. Well done.
0: (laughs) You are a born auditor. So exactly those principles that we use when we carry out audit work is that Mm -hmm. someone's told you something, I don't believe them. I, I need proof. I need to find out why or, or if it's actually true and if the valuation is correct. So we're, we're actually proving loads of really complex audit things there, but we're doing it by applying it to something that we all know and understand. And if you can do that with you know, absolutely anything, then it just makes things, even if you don't use them in the workplace, it just make it a lot easier to deal with.
1: And what if you do need extra help, Dave? Where can you get that from? For me... <laughs> Simple as that.
0: <laughs> it, it should just be, yeah, if you're being supported by a tuition provider, then that, that tuition provider has got a duty of care to look after you until you pass the exams. So, you know, I, I always think you should be able to contact them with any kind of questions to help clarify things. Now, I know that, that that's the minority of students. You know, most students don't have that support network. So, you know, the next things that I, I would look at is, um, you know, the internet's our friends, and and if you're trying to work out how to do anything on the internet, the first place I would go to is YouTube. Okay, I think YouTube is brilliant as a resource for showing you how to do stuff. You know, I, I, I'm sure I've said before on podcasts. You know, the radiator on my lounge stopped working one winter. And I went onto YouTube, how to fix my radiator. And within about five minutes found a video that said where I needed to hit it with a hammer. I did that and it started working. And that, that's the next place that I would look at. And that, that's a free resource you, should. Like, you
1: know, It you
0: would know. just take a little bit of hunting.
1: On the flip side, my husband tried to fix our, our electrics and um, they haven't worked since. So we're now looking for a qualified electrician from a YouTube video. So uh, yeah, but I take your point, Dave, that YouTube is a fantastic resource and yeah. we've got loads of stuff on our YouTube channel as well, just you know, in case anyone's listening. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I would never
0: touch electrics in the house.
1: No, no, it was a bad move. <laughs>
0: I spoke to someone a while ago who said oh they're fine messing with electrics they've never touched water okay I'm fine with water because I can mm-hmm. kind of see when water is leaking but I it's can't lightless. see when electricity is leaking
1: no and that's no, quite no, dangerous. very dangerous yeah, yeah. <laughs> slowly Um now the other thing that I hear lots of students talk about um and it seems to be sort of quite a source of, of stress and concern is but when they come come towards that exam time and they're doing something that's got lots of data and information or sort of um case study topics how do they manage their time within that exam
0: first of all you need to separate the time that you're spending reading and interpreting with the time you're spending answering a question mm-hmm. what is really easy to do is to say I've got a case study question, which is 50 marks out of 100 in the exam. The exam is three hours long. So I need to spend an hour and a half on that case study question. So far, so good. But then what they'll do is say, right, that's that's 90 minutes. And, um, you know, I've got, say, five different requirements. And then they start saying, right, well, I'm going to divide my 90 minutes by five. And I'm going to split the time equally across each of the questions, which is a nice approach to use. The problem with that approach is that works out as what? That works out as 18 minutes per question, I think, or something like that. Um, The problem with that approach is that you do the first question, say I've got 18 minutes, and you spend 15 of those minutes reading the narrative, processing the numbers, and it leaves you with three minutes to complete the question. Now, you could spend three minutes completing that question and then go on to the next one and have the full 18 minutes. But all that's going to happen there is you're going to lose out on marks on that first question. Now, what some people might do is they might say, all oh, right, well, I've only got three minutes to do this first part of the question. So I'm going to borrow a bit of time from the next question and go over slightly. And then mm-hmm. you're in a position where you're consistently borrowing marks and borrowing time from really the catch
1: questions. up. Mm-hmm. So
0: th- that, that approach, I don't think works that well. Mm-hmm. So, what I ask students to do is to do the same maths to start with. I've got a 50 mark case study, three hour exam. So that is 90 minutes I need to spend on section A. But then what I ask them to do is say, how much of that 90 minutes do you need to read the narrative, to understand it, and to to look at the numbers and start interpreting the numbers? And they they, they might say, 20 minutes. Okay, Okay. so 20 minutes, allocate that 20 minutes to to reading, understanding, making the notes you need to. The remaining 70 minutes are gonna be used to prepare your answers. And we said there are five, five equal questions. That's what a total of 14 minutes for each question. Yep. So now we're saying, right, 20 minutes to read and understand 14 minutes for each question and stick to that timing. And that means that you're not in a position where you're constantly playing catch up or you're not in a position where you're you know having to abandon a question. Have it only just taken a look at it. Mm-hmm. Now, what I do then is I say, right, you've chosen 20 and 70 is your split of time. I asked people to then evaluate how effective that was. So you've just done a question, you've given it a 20 and a 70 split, how did you find it? And they might come back and say, you know what, I found myself really rushing on the reading and I was really skim reading and it didn't help me. Move that, okay, right, okay, that didn't work. So let's go and kind of go 30 minutes and 60 minutes. Or it might be, well, I found I had bags of time. Well, let's make it 15 minutes instead for that reading part. So it's a little bit of trial and error as you're practising, but allocate time for reading and understanding and planning and allocate time for actually presenting your answer. If we don't do that, then you're going to run into time issues. And it's it's always timing issues that cause stress. Yeah.
1: you think you're running behind time,
0: you're stressed, and you think you're catching up. And what
1: I'm hearing there is practice... It's yep. doing those practice papers to you know to get those timings right and kind of working out what, what works best for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Um and then so sort of moving on to kind of that point where you've you've sat your course and, and you're you think you're ready. How do you know when you're ready to set an exam, particularly on demand? So I know we've got sit-ins for some, but say I'm, you know, I'm doing AAT and I finished my course and I kind of want to give myself some time to revise but I'm not sure how much when you you know what was what was the plan there
0: first thing I have in my entire life only ever sat one exam where I walked into the exam thinking I am 100% ready for this exam there's Mm -hmm. only been one occasion and it feels amazing if you do that it wasn't it wasn't an accountancy exam, that's definitely for sure. <laughs> um, but only once have I ever gone into an exam room feeling fully confident that the examiner could ask me anything and I knew I would pass that exam. So it's such a rare feeling mm. and I don't think anyone's ever going to be in that situation. You know, if you are, you are amazing. <laughs> um, so if, if we look at short form, if we're looking at on-demand exams, my first general rule is that when you finish a course and you finish your studying for for all of the material and you're going into that that practice and rehearsal phase to get ready for the exam, you shouldn't be leaving longer than about three weeks. So three weeks from I've finished the course, I've finished my learning and I've got (laughs) three weeks of practicing and then I take the exam. Um, There are studies that SEMA have done that show once you go beyond a three-week gap, then success in the exam falls off. So there are, there are studies that people have, people have done in terms of how long to wait. As far as I'm concerned, once you finish studying and you're preparing for an exam, you've got to put a certain level of intensity into your work. You've got to be prepared to you know, do some work in the evenings, to do some work at weekends to prepare for those exams. And doing it for three weeks is achievable but if you are spending four, five, six, seven, eight weeks doing two or three nights a week, working at evenings, sorry, working at um, working at weekends, at some point your life will become so dull that you will want to give it up and you'll want to go and do other things. And the minute that happens, the minute your performance will drop off. So it's better to, to schedule it for two, three weeks, really put the work in and then have a rest afterwards. And in terms of how do you know you're ready, if it's a short, if, it, if it's, um, yeah, if, it, if it's a on-demand exam, my general thoughts are that if you're doing mock exams and you are achieving 10 marks more than the pass mark, you're definitely ready for the exam. Right. Um, and my thought process behind that is that if you, if the pass mark is safe at ACCA, it's 50%. If you're getting 60% in every single mock exam and then you go into the exam and you have a really bad day, Okay. Yeah. I think you could probably drop about 10 marks but it'd be tough to drop more than 10 marks yeah. so what if you have a brilliant day I could see you getting 10 marks more but we're looking yeah. at as accountants being prudent or some worst case scenario so if you're getting 60 marks in every single mock ACTA exam you're ready to take the exam because okay. even if you have a really bad day you should still pass.
1: You've got the wiggle room yeah, yeah. okay um, and in terms of structuring that revision um, we've, we've here we've heard lots of lots of times about you know people's top tips for you know successful planning of revision What what's your kind of you know top three if you like top three things you need to do
0: okay so number one most important is your revision should be structured around practice questions
1: mm-hmm.
0: they're, they're, again there are there are loads of studies out there there's a brilliant um, TED talk on YouTube which talks about how high performing students got great marks and the number one determiner of getting great marks in the exam was the amount of practice questions they did. It wasn't the amount of work they did. So some people put more work in but didn't achieve higher marks. But the people that did more practice questions achieved higher marks in the exams. So there is you know, lots of science behind why that is. But my number one tip is make sure you're doing question practice. And I think that's from even before you kind of finish the course. You know, as soon as you started studying towards any subject, you should be putting it, dropping in practice questions all the way through so number one is is make sure that you're doing practice questions Mm and number two is putting together a revision plan or putting together a study plan full stop so plan for your studies in the way that you would you know plan for anything else so and the way you plan I always think is really important so I I always think it's a three-stage plan to planning your studies so Mm -hmm. you've got your your diary in front of you the first thing you plan for is you plan for the things you absolutely have to do so you have to go to work you have to sleep you know you have to eat okay so the things you have to do go into your study planner first they can't move because they are essential to you being able to exist number two you put the things into your study plan that you love doing that you enjoy doing the things that you can't live without so I, i know for you Shelley, it will be your yoga OK, so okay, yeah. <laughs> you would put yoga in there as being something that life is not worth living if you don't have the joys, that you, the things you really yeah. enjoy. So you put yeah. those yeah. things in and then you put your study in oh, okay, okay. So only after you've done those two things. Because if you if you do anything, if you do it in any other order, if you put in your study first, OK, before you put in the things you have to do, well, that's not going to work because you're not going to eat, you're not going to go to work, you're going to get fired, and you're going to starve. Yeah. yeah. You put your study in seconds, then you'll say, right, I've got to do my work. I've got to eat. I've got to sleep. Now I'm putting all my study in and you think, oh, brilliant. I'm going to study all day Saturday, all day Sunday. I'm going to study every evening during the week. Look Mm -hmm. how much study I'm going to do. I'll guarantee after two weeks, you will look at your life. You will be miserable and you'll say, oh, I loved being able to see my friends. Mm. I really enjoyed going out. I loved going to the cinema, but I'm not doing that now. And yeah. you'll really resent your studying.
1: So, yeah, you're going to start to become resentful, aren't you? The things you're, you're missing out on. So yeah. Okay. Um, I've always been sort of fairly lucky. I've got pretty good memory. But I yeah. know that some people um, and friends of mine and students I hear say that they sit there, they do the revision, but, you know, they just can't remember especially sort of some of the more complicated sort of technical bits what you know what what can they do to help improve that memory and make things really stick
0: there is a a whole whole, three or four podcast episodes we have on memory Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so first thing would be to go and go and listen to some of those to get kind of specific techniques but my my biggest thing and this is something that i've heard various different iterations of this phrase from various different people is mm-hmm. th- that that whole kind of phrase of people overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a year
1: Exactly
0: yeah. mm-hmm. to the same with studying because people will think that i'm going to do some study and i'm going to go away and i'm going to learn 20 different things and then they'll be disappointed when they don't achieve it because they kind of overestimate what they can do in that one study session but if you can do it in a study session you can memorize two things not 20, you can memorize two, but then you have 10 different revision sessions over the course of, say, two weeks, you've still learned 20 things, and and if you can then do that over a month, okay, or over two months, over three months, then, you know, those two things at a time start to add up to learning hundreds of things, so it's just your your frame of reference and don't think i'm going to go into every single study session and i'm going to come out knowing a million things you're not come out of everything knowing one or two things and if you've learned one or two things and you do that on a regular basis your knowledge level will will absolutely soar
1: so you're building it up gradually yeah and then when you get to that exam stage um you know we have exams in centre. I see students coming in and they sit around waiting, you know, the you ready to go down. And then we have some of our other students studying ACCA, SEMA and ICAW who go off to exam centres. What's what's the difference between those kinds of exams for you know and the, the, the sort of the experience of the exam centre? what's it like?
0: So in terms of going to an exam centre versus studying at home. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, for me. I personally would prefer to go to an exam centre because you arrive at an exam centre and someone else is in charge of the IT, someone else is in charge of making the exam sure the exams take place. I don't need to worry at all about the setup. I just arrive there, people do their job, I sit down at my desk and I do the exam, I finish, I walk away, I forget about it. So from my perspective, that's what I like. Now, I know lots of people that prefer to take exams at home. And, and if I look at the reasons they would like that, okay, it would be, number one, you don't have to worry about travelling. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, because you you wake up, you go downstairs, you go into your dining room, and that's where you're doing the exam. Whereas I, because I, I want to remove that stress of, of, you know, of, of transport and things like that, I used to arrive at the exam venues an hour and a half, two hours early. I didn't want to be late yeah. now that removes all of that kind of stress and worry so yeah. you know for, for the people that like study at home they would say well yeah travel yeah travel's an issue for me it's not an issue when I do with my home um yeah. people will also point to the fact that you get to use your own IT yeah. and if, if you've been using if you've been working from home and using the same computer for the last two years you're using the same computer to do your exam and you're familiar with you know the way the keyboard feels, the way the mouse feels, mm. that funny little flicker or glitch on the screen. You know, all of that stuff is, is stuff that, um, that, that 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 feels comfortable to you.
1: Mm, absolutely. In an
0: exam room, you might end up with a computer that's 15 years old, it's got a mm. tiny screen, and the mouse is really sticky, and one of the keys doesn't work, and all kinds of stuff you're not aware of till you get there on the day. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, Other things, people feel more comfortable in their own home. It's less stressful being on your own in your own house doing an exam, whereas in an exam hall, everyone else is there. The invigilators are looking at you. They're walking past with their squeaky shoes. All that stuff is taking place and you don't get that stress in the work at home. You know, people have said to me, I I love doing exams at home because the minute I finish the exam, I can go to my kitchen and I can get a beer from the fridge and I can sit down (laughs) in my sofa having a beer three minutes after I finish the exam. Okay, I, I completely get that, you know. Whereas yeah. otherwise, you've got to sit there in your desk while the invigilators make sure that everyone's answers have been uploaded, and then they let you out in single file. Right. Then you've got to go and get your bag and get your car and get home, and it can be a couple of hours before you can have that pint. Absolutely. So there are pros yeah. and cons between both of yeah. them. Yeah, um, it, it's you know, for me, I prefer an exam centre, but I'm yeah. you know, I'm very much I prefer to being to be with people rather than be mm. on my own. And go through those things. So it, it depends who you are. Um and, and yeah, they are they are different. And you know, we've got people that have commented in the room that some people really enjoy being at home, other people in the room mm. have commented that they enjoy that that camaraderie of being in the test centre uh, and yeah. you know, having yeah. other people around you and you know, having other people afterwards say, Oh, that was really hard, wasn't it? And they go, Yeah, Ian, listen, Ian talks about know. this.
1: Yeah, Ian, Ian Thorogood talks about this quite a lot, that sometimes actually you can walk out and, you know, someone says, like, oh, you know, I thought I thought question such and such was fairly straightforward, didn't you? And that was the one that you absolutely did. And, it, you yeah. know, it can kind of give you, especially if you're waiting for um, a result, you know, sort of five, six weeks or something, yeah. 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 So, okay. Um, so these days, when you go to an exam centre, what can you actually take with you? Because obviously it's changed so much, sort of, you know, during the pandemic and, you know, these days, what...
0: What can students take in? I'm not not going to give you an exhaustive list uh, because (laughs) it will depend on the syllabus that you're that you're studying towards and and each qualification uh, or each institute will have slightly different rules so the thing that I would look at there is make sure you do know your rules and make sure that you are only taking things you're allowed to take and Make sure that you've sat a mock exam using the equipment that you're allowed to use in the exam. So, you know, if you, if you, if you know, the worst thing you can have is going into an exam and using a brand new calculator for the first time because your calculator wasn't legally allowed in that exam. So, yeah. just make sure you've rehearsed the equipment that you are allowed. Okay. Um, so, yeah, so it, it, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, for each. I say each qualification is slightly different yeah. So it's best just to check which check one on
1: their websites yeah. yeah okay um and sort of on exams i mean um obviously sometimes things don't always go as planned so I'm, I'm gonna sort of sort of fuse two questions together here um and ask you about you know what you should do if you failed an exam um, but also something that I hear quite commonly when I'm writing up sort of case studies and testimonials from our student, some of our students is that there's sometimes there's there's a particular paper that becomes a bit of a, an Achilles heel that they really struggle to get past. So in those two scenarios where I failed, yep. what do you uh, do, but also what if that one paper becomes that one that you just really struggle with and, you know, you don't feel like you're ever going to pass it.
0: Well, as, as regular listeners will know, I've, I've struggled with failing an exam in the past. And um, it's, for me, it took me six months to, to recognise that I needed to do something different. And, you know, usually we, we fail exams for one of two reasons, um, as far as I'm concerned. The, the, the reasons are you either you didn't do enough work okay, or you did the wrong kind of work and either one of those can be as bad so if you didn't do enough work okay well if you if you failed an exam and you are honest with yourself and you look back and say no I didn't put the work in then in which case you need to put more work in and it, is, yeah. it really is that simple now if you only did three hours worth of study before taking an exam and you failed you know that you should have put more effort in and putting that extra effort in it's what's going to change you um Where it's more difficult is where people have worked really, really hard and they've done loads and loads of work and they've been unsuccessful. Now, usually that's because they've done the wrong kind of work. And Mm -hmm. I I see people that spend a huge amount of time writing their own sets of study notes out. And they'll spend ages creating something that's beautiful and creating flashcards so they can, you know, they can look at them and get brief synopsis. And again, they look beautiful. But they're not preparing you to sit an exam. They're not preparing you for what you're going to face in the exam. So by doing that, you're doing lots of work, but you're not doing the right kind of work. And that's what I found was that I was doing the wrong kind of work. I, I I was reading my notes a lot. I wasn't looking at exam standard questions. I was reading my notes and rewriting them in the hope that that would somehow make me understand what was happening when I didn't understand what was happening and I needed to change the way that I studied to actually understand things in a different way once I did that I made that change then I was able to be successful in the exam Uh, and that's something that is is quite difficult for people to 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 work out and it's something you need to be really honest with and it's also Mm -hmm. something that's really scary because most of the time we've studied the same way for every exam in our life up until that point and every exam up until that point we've passed Suddenly we've been unsuccessful in an exam and we need to be honest with, did we do enough work or did we do the wrong kind of work? And if you worked every single evening, every single weekend leading up to an exam, you did you did enough work it's just Mm. the type of work you did maybe needs to change and that's where and that's where you know sometimes working with other students working with a tutor um Mm. uh, just just looking up what is best practice you know what should I do more of and usually it's not doing enough question practice that's the the issue with uh, those people who are not doing the right kind of work Um, is
1: that when it becomes a sticking point when someone's kind of you know keeps struggling with that same paper over and over again it's because they're not necessarily you know cementing the knowledge in the right way yep. to then apply it in the exam to be fair the, the easiest
0: one is when people don't do enough work if they're honest and mm-hmm. they say yeah I was too busy having fun I'm going to put the effort in normally you see their marks go up and they're fine yeah. the ones that is, the, where it's more challenging is where you haven't done the right kind of work and mm-hmm. you have studied really really hard and it's really tempting to say oh in an ACCA exam I got 47 marks you know I'm three marks away from passing I just need to put a bit of extra effort in and I'll just about get over the line and Mm. sometimes that does work okay but usually if you just change the way you do things you can Mm. actually get that extra three percent much much more easily just by using a different focus in the way that you study okay
1: um and then you know, once you sort of come in towards the end of your studies and say, for example, you've finished, uh, finished your AAT qualification, how do you then decide what, you know, if you want to go on and study next and, um, what are you going to study?
0: So I'm assuming uh, you're going to stay within the world of accountancy here.
1: Yeah? yeah. 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 Okay. Why would you want to leave?
0: <laughs> people do sometimes, um, <laughs> So you you finish your AT and you're looking at do I want to and I'm going to assume that we're going to go on to one of the the, the kind of the level seven type qualifications so yeah. ACCA CIMA ICAW, CIP if you're in public finance maybe tax exam something like that mm-hmm. yeah wow there's there's loads of things to think about there so there's loads of qualifications first thing is they are all at the same level it, there isn't one that's really more difficult than another. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that they are maybe more appropriate in certain sectors and certain areas.
1: Right. So
0: the, the first thing that I would look at is where do I want my career to go? So do I, do I know where, which business, which industry, which sector I would like to be working in and what that job role looks like? Yeah. And what I would then do is say, right, well, I'm going to start looking for jobs at that level and I'm going to look at them online. I'm going to say, are they looking for anything specific? So you know, if I know that I want to, I want to work for Vodafone and uh, I want to be the finance director of Vodafone, what I might do is look on the Vodafone website, the Finance director and see what kind of qualifications they've got yeah. because that's what they'd be looking for in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you could use LinkedIn as well to yeah. search for businesses you're interested in, look at the finance director, what qualifications they've got right that qualification set them up for that, that particular type of job in that particular type of industry. You might not know that. And you might, mm-hmm. you might not know the business or the kind of role, but you might know the type of thing you're interested in. So you know, if you are really interested in working for the public sector and you want to work for the NHS or you want to work for local authorities and that's the kind of business you want to work for, then yeah. you, know, you might look at SIPFA. SIPFA is mm-hmm. specifically aimed at that particular type of industry. Um, you know, if you want to work abroad, you might want to look yeah. at that country and say which, ind- which of the institute's qualifications are... Now are best accepted in those countries which of them would transfer more more immediately yeah. so yeah. you know we know that if you wanted to work in the us sema transfers really well into the us yeah. it doesn't yeah. transfer as well as say acca in other parts of the world yeah you know, icaw again transfers in different parts of the world really really well so you know which qualification is going to leave those doors open to you yeah. um, and then it's the case of what work do you enjoy most so do, if you work in practice and you love tax, you absolutely love it. Accounts, prep and audit are really dull to you, but tax you love.
1: Yeah.
0: Do the tax qualification.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. You know, It's brilliant if you like tax. If you hate tax and you only ever want to do audit and you couldn't mm-hmm. see yourself doing anything other than audit, well, don't do a tax qualification. Don't do CMA because CMA doesn't prepare you to be in order. Do ACCA or do ICAW. So yeah. very much look at where are your strengths and which qualification marries with your strengths.
1: OK. And then I suppose we are coming towards the end, aren't we? So I'm going um, gonna to sort of finish with a question about, you know, now you've got this um, qualification, we'll sort of say Level 7 at this stage. I've got my Level 7. I hear so many students sort of saying, yeah, but I'm not quite done. There are still other things I need to do. So... What else do I need to do to finally be able to put all those letters after my name and tell everyone that I'm a qualified chartered accountant and um, you know be proud of it?
0: So <laughs> are you talking to about even though you're exam qualified, you yeah. can't actually use your letters? Yeah. Yeah, yes. so th- 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 that will be your practical experience records. So yeah. a- as well as to passing your exams, you also need to show competence in the workplace for all yeah. the qualifications that you actually have been working at the level of a chartered accountant. So mm-hmm. that would need to be done before you could use those letters after your name. Right. But I would say to anyone that is qualified is don't think of getting those letters as being the end because there's always more you can learn and develop. And the hardest thing about becoming qualified is that up until that point, everything has been about achieving exams. Once you get beyond them, it's not about achieving exams. It's about self-development. Uh, it's about self improvement, and that's far more difficult to measure because you're not going to sit an exam that you pass and get a certificate. for it's about your judgment as to what skills do you need, how do you develop those skills, and have I developed them well enough yet? And that's a whole different skill set that that you need to work on once you've finished your exams.
1: That was one of my other questions. So you've kind of done two in one there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. But we have got to the end of our, our allotted time tonight, Shelley.
1: Uh-huh, so, yes, yeah,
0: <laughs> it has absolutely flown, hasn't it and i'm aware that there are a couple of questions that have come to me privately through some of the audience members that i haven't had a chance to take a look at but i'm i I will take a look at them once we finish today and then um i think we could build them into future episodes um there's one of them that's quite nice that i think i'm going to build into an episode on its own and then we can also look at them in in future question time episodes but um Thank you so much, Shelley, for, for coming on. Today. No have problem. you enjoyed being? being yes, possible? I have. Yeah, yeah,
1: I've, put, I've been pushed out of my comfort zone this evening, but yes, I have. Yeah.
0: Excellent stuff. <laughs> um, and hopefully, you'll be able to join us again at some point in the future. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, excellent stuff. But hopefully, as uh, so a Ben should be back next week, but if not, then there might be another a seat warm for you next, <laughs> next time, Shelley. Um, but it has come to their point where we need to say goodbye. So um, I, I will. I will see you definitely in the real world, Shelley. Yes, I'll Um, see you tomorrow. (laughs) Thank you to all of the people that have chosen to download and to listen. Um, If you do get a chance, could you please um, just leave a review um, or leave a star rating or share it with your friends and family? Because the more people that listen, then, you know, the happier we are and the more people that we can help. If you have got ideas for future episodes, please drop us a note. and, and we are, we are always happy to get inspiration from the listeners to, to put together other episodes. But until next time, stay safe, everyone, and good luck with those people getting results this week.